Well, let's get going with our uh, His Story series. Uh, today we're in the 15th one, and we're going to be looking at the story of Jericho. And so I would like to start by talking about my daughter, Karis. Uh, many of you know Karis. Uh, she's babysat some of your kids. She uh, used to be a part of Riverwood. She uh, often helped out in the kids' ministry, would lead the Kids Creek. Uh, she's now married. She got married in December, and she and her husband, Phil, live out in Spokane, Washington. Uh, Megan just talked with Karis yesterday via FaceTime, and Karis has no voice, uh, which sounded pretty funny to, to listen to her. And uh, she and Phil are watching an 18-month-old uh, kid. The, I mean, no, not 18 months, eight months. An eight-month-old uh, uh, this weekend. I don't know if this means I'm going to be a grandpa sooner or later. Uh, we're not sure which way that's going to go. But it reminds me of something that happened with Karis when she was a little girl. Uh, when we were living in Colorado, uh, we moved there when she was, what, after one and uh, I remember she was about like 16, 18 months or so. And one of her favorite games was the put-away game. And we would pick up, you know, whatever toys we had. And often I would pick her up and we'd carry it and we'd fly it through the air and then drop it in the, the box or whatever. Well, this particular day, we were playing with jumbo blocks. And we were trying to take the box, blocks and put them in the bag, you know, play the put-away game. You know, I'm trying to instill this in my child at a young age. You know, when you make your own mess, you clean it up. So put the blocks away. On this particular day, though, Karis refused to put the blocks in the bag. And I'm trying everything possible. I'm being happy and cheerful, like, oh, Karis, this is fun. You know, pick it up, put it in. It, it didn't work. So I had to get a little more stern, Karis. You need to put the block in the bag. Still didn't work. So I go even tougher. Karis Renee, put the block in the bag. She's looking at me as if, Dad, you can threaten me with the end of the world. I am not putting this block in the bag. Now, you've got to understand that before we had children, my wife and I had discussions, conversations of what kind of parenting we wanted to employ. And we decided that we would only spank our children for willful disobedience. So if they, like, you know, did a childish things like color on the walls, we weren't going to spank. If they, like, lost it at a restaurant or in the grocery store, we weren't going to spank. Only when they were willfully disobeying us. And I was good with that because I really thought my child would be three four before I would have to ever pull out Mr. Wooden Spoon. Here's my 18-month-old willfully disobeying. I was heartbroken. I mean, this was like evidence that I'm clearly failing as a father. My child will not put a simple block in the bag. I had to go and consult Leanne. Like, what do we do? Do, do we dare spank our precious little 18-month-old? We realized we basically have no choice. So Mr. Wooden Spoon makes his emergence a little too early. And I set little Karis on my knee. She's never seen this before. She has no older siblings. She has no idea what's about to take place. And I very gently try to explain in 18-month-old terms, you're about to get your butt smacked. And I lay her across my lap, a couple little swats, and the dam burst forth. Tears, she cries. We had lots of hugs, and, and we used to teach Karis, you know, some basic sign language. Maybe some of you have done that, you know, more, and please. Karis created her own sign language for sorry. She would rub her eye. So she's, like, trying to say, I'm sorry, and that. And within minutes, we had the blocks in the bag. She's happy. She's cheerful. She's laughing. Everything was great. She, so once she surrendered, she had a lot of joy. But to get to that place was so hard. You know, you and I may not be 18 months old anymore, but we're not much different. 
When our boss says to do something and we don't want to do it, in our heart, we are not putting the block in the bag. Kids, when your parents tell you to do something or a teacher gives you an assignment, uh uh-uh, in your heart, you are remaining stubborn. You'll do it on the outside, but you're not doing it inside. Or moms and dads, you have plans. It's, It's a date night or it's to go hunting and fishing or to go shopping or go hang out with the girls. You've got these plans and all of a sudden the kids wreck them. And in that moment, you do not want to surrender to the needs of your kids. Surrender is hard including surrender to God. I believe that each and every one of you longs for a life of joy. There's something in you that wants peace. You want your life to have meaning. And I believe that that life that you're looking for is found by surrendering to Jesus. But as we're going to see today, there are things where God says, and they're crazy, they're hard, and we find ourselves hesitating to surrender. But if we're going to have the life that I think each of us want, it's actually going to have to start with a place of surrender. Today, as we look at this silly story about Jericho and these walls around the city, we're actually going to see four types of surrender. And my hope and prayer is that wherever you are at in your spiritual journey, whether you've been following Jesus for like 40-some years, or you're here investigating who in the world is Jesus Christ, I hope that today will challenge you to come to a place of even further surrender. Because I think as you surrender, you come to a place that you will find the joy that you're longing for. So Father, I just pray right now you would open our hearts and our ears to what you want to say. I just pray right now for anyone whose heart has been hard and you're going to be speaking to it. I pray that as, as I'm talking, that it's really you talking and that you will be softening hearts and minds towards you. And that we would come to a place where we would ultimately surrender to you so that we can come into that relationship with you. That we can come into your embrace. So Father, help us today to abandon it all, to come to you, and to let you be our God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you've got a Bible, uh, whether it's a paper copy or a digital copy, go ahead and open it up to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua 5. Throughout this entire His Story series that we've been doing, we've been so far in what is called the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So today, we finally graduate out of the Pentateuch, and we come into the books of history. And the first one is Joshua. And it's important because Joshua succeeded Moses. Last week, we looked at this person of Moses and what a great leader he was and how his life actually pointed at Jesus. But then what we've also seen, saw was that he died not, allowing, not being allowed to lead the people into the promised land. And his successor was Joshua. And so if you go into Joshua 1 and, and you start reading through the book, you'll see some miraculous things. You'll see you know, him named as the leader and the people saying, we'll follow you. God encouraging him, be strong and courageous. They actually go through the water of the Jordan River. It's much like how God parted the Red Sea. They walked through this river that was at flood stage and God stopped the waters. You know, so go, go and read some of it. But they're coming into what is called the promised land. There was this region that God said he was going to give to the, Israeli, uh, to the Israelites. However, if they're going to have the land, that means the people who currently occupy it, the inhabitants, either just have to hand it over or be conquered. And the first city they come to was a city named Jericho. 
Now, Jericho was famous for its walls, but what I learned this week was that most likely, archaeologists believe that, that uh, Jericho actually had a double-walled system. They had this lower outer wall, kind of this raised area, and then an upper wall. It was practically impenetrable. It was so difficult to get into. And archaeologists found that they would have vast amounts of food inside. I mean, just huge pots of grain. And so their idea was, when an enemy shows up, we lock the doors. No one goes in or out. We just live on what we have. We could go weeks. Our enemies will get bored, and they will leave. And that was the plan. However, God had said, you're going to conquer Jericho. So one night, Joshua is wondering, what in the world? How are we going to do this, God? Because as I look at that, we can't do it. And so as he's out walking one night, and I suspect that he was by himself, and he's looking at the wall, and maybe he's just praying. Maybe he's actually going up to the wall looking for like a crack in it. You know, he's trying to find some weakness. He's hoping that some idea, strategy will come to him. When suddenly he sees something strange. And that's what we find in Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua's out having a walkabout when suddenly he sees this guy. And you can understand his questioning, his dilemma. Like, who is this? Because the guy is standing outside of Jericho and he's got a sword drawn. So he's right there in proximity to the city. So maybe he's for Jericho. Is he like one of their soldiers? However, Jericho's pattern was to just shut their doors and just wait. So why is this guy outside the city? So that maybe makes you wonder, okay, maybe he's actually for Israel. And so Joshua walks up to him and says, hey, who are you? Are you on their side or are you on our side? And I love the response, neither. I'm on my side. It makes you wonder, who exactly is this guy? Some people believe it was an angel. An angel that, you know, came down, suddenly appears, you know, the commander of the Lord's army. But any time in the scriptures you see someone fall on their face and begin to, like, worship an angel, the angel will go, no, 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 stop, don't. Worship God. But you notice that this guy doesn't do that. This guy allows Joshua to fall onto his face and begin to worship him. And in just a moment, he's going to tell Joshua, where you're standing is holy. That's because this is God. I believe that this is a, well, most people would call this a theophany, where God appears in human form. I personally believe, though, that anytime you see a theophany, it's actually Jesus. Jesus coming down. Now, it's the pre-incarnate Jesus. He's not been born yet, but yet he comes down to earth. We we see this other times in the scriptures. There's a time where Abraham gets to walk with the Lord, and and Jesus ends up telling him, hey, I'm going to destroy Sodom, and the whole debate that goes on. Uh, uh, When you look at the story of Jacob, and he wrestles with God, I believe that was Jesus. And now here you've got Joshua approaching this guy, sword is drawn, and, he, and Joshua worships him. In Revelation 19, uh, you can see at the end of all th- things, 
Jesus riding a white horse, and he's got like these tattoos on his thigh with his name, and he's holding his sword because he's like a general. He's the commander of the Lord's army. That's why I'm convinced that in this story, it isn't just Joshua's life that points to Jesus, kind of like we've seen in some of the other stories. Or it isn't that this story somehow alludes to the gospel, as we've seen in some of our other uh, weeks in this series. Today, Jesus appears himself as the commander of the Lord's army to talk to Joshua. Well, it's the appearance of Jesus in the story that starts a string of four different types of surrender. And that's what I want to look at today. The first type we're going to look at is a surrender in worship. Surrender in worship. Notice Joshua's very first response. As soon as he finds out who he's talking to, he falls on his face and begins to worship. But I want you to realize just who Joshua was. Joshua is incredibly tough. He's brave. I mean, he is a man's man. When the 12 spies went into the promised land, 10 of them came back petrified because the people in the promised land looked like giants to them. But it was Caleb and Joshua saying, we can take them. He's tough. He's like, if, if God's with us, we can conquer anyone. So here he is in the middle of the night, all by himself. Here's this angelic-looking being standing there with a sword drawn. He approaches I mean, like, ready to do battle. Like, are you for us or are you for them? Because if you're for them, let's go. It's on. And suddenly, when he finds out who he's talking to, this big, tough, strong guy drops to his face and begins to worship. Most people, when they meet Jesus, they have a reaction. There is this sense of surrender, a sense of worship. Now, if you're a first-time guest with us and you're probably wondering, like, oh, boy, does this mean, like, if we're going to sing again, we all have to lay down on our face. No, don't, don't worry. I'm not going to make anyone do that. But many people, when they meet Jesus for the first time, something happens. Some people, they, they laugh because there's just so much joy. Some, some people, they, they start crying, like just these tears of thankfulness when they realize the gospel story. Some people, they, they just want to like sing or raise their hands. Others, they want to go and tell someone. Whatever reaction someone has, it's fine. But the thing is, there is a reaction. It's worship. They're, in a sense, surrendering their life to God, saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. He's now in charge of my life. And he begins this reaction of worship. But I don't believe that your reaction in worship is just the first time you see Jesus. I think this should become a lifestyle thing for us. That's why on Sundays we gather together and we sing songs to Jesus. Because we're here to worship him. We're here to surrender. We encourage you to be reading in the scriptures. I, I think that there's times when you open up your Bible and you start reading something. When something hits you, you stop and you just pray. You, you thank God or you, you, you just worship in the moment. It, it could be as you're listening to a song, uh, as you're driving to work or, or, or a sermon. It could be in a conversation with someone. It, it's when you see God changing someone's life. As you see God working, whether it's in you or around you, when you see glimpses of Jesus, it should lead you to worship. There should be this surrender. That's what Joshua did. As soon as he sees Jesus, as soon as he knows who's he talking to, he worships. But that's not the only thing he does. He doesn't just surrender and worship. Next, he surrenders in obedience. Surrenders through obedience. Notice, the very first thing Joshua does is he says, what does my Lord say to me? Like, just tell me and I'll do it. And so the commander of the Lord's army says, take off your sandals, because where you're at, this is holy ground. And it says Joshua did so. 
Immediate obedience. But it didn't stop there. Jesus then begins to talk and begins to give some really strange instructions. Look in chapter 6, start in verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, and everyone straight before him. Now, we live in a very different age than Joshua, especially when it comes to the military. Our Tactics are very, very different. Our technology is very, very different. So we might look at this and go, that is really crazy. Well, the thing is, even though they maybe had a far more rudimentary understanding of military, army, war stuff, that that was still silly. I mean, because Israel, they've got arms. They're ready to fight. This is the promised land. They've wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. They're finally ready to take possession. Like, let's go. And now the first battle is going to be Yeah, just walk around the city. Have you ever had a moment where you feel like God asks you to do something crazy? And it's really difficult to surrender through obedience? I I remember, what did this be now? Six years ago? No, seven, eight years ago. Uh, A long time ago. Uh, I was at work one day, and all of a sudden I just had this moment where I sensed God saying, I want you to leave your church, and I want you to go and plant another church. And I said, no. I did not want to surrender. It sounded too crazy to give up a church I loved, to give up a city I loved, to give up a neighborhood I loved, to give up a school system that I enjoyed, to to give all this up and to give up a salary and have to go and raise my own funds. No way. Like, this is going to ruin my kids' lives. So I said no. As you read the scriptures, you find all sorts of crazy things. Turn the other cheek. Forgive 70 times 7. When someone asks you to walk a mile, go too. Love unconditionally. You can go on and on and on. There's all these crazy things in the scriptures. And they sound so wonderful and beautiful and poetic, but when you actually start to live them out, it's hard. You, you find yourself struggling to fully surrender in obedience. Because, yeah, it sounds great. Forgive. But then when someone hurts you deeply, I don't know if I can. Joshua, thankfully, doesn't even hesitate. Jesus told him to do the craziest thing possible. Just walk around a city, and they'll take care of it. And Joshua does. Skip down in chapter 6, down to verse 12. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. So they did it. Rather than, you know, God devising some great big battering ram, rather than drops of fire from heaven, no. He's like, I want you to walk. And so they walk. They obeyed. They surrendered through obedience. But then I want you to notice, you're supposed to do this for six days. Suddenly they find themselves having to wait 
And that's what I think God wants us to do. I think he wants us to surrender in the wait. Because look, the very next verse, verse 14, says, And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into camp. And so they did for six days. Anyone here ever seen VeggieTales? Okay, yeah, quite a few hands. Anyone seen Josh and the Big Wall? Okay, a few more hands, right? If you've not seen Josh and the Big Wall in all its glory, it is on Right Now Media. So if you have your Right Now Media access, you can go on and watch it and all of its a beautiful presentation. But I'm going to warn you that it is unbiblical, all right? It's unbiblical simply because, like, the Jerichos, the people in Jericho, they're peas, and they speak with French accents, okay? I don't think that really happened. And also in the movie, they, like, they throw slushies over the wall onto the Israelites. That also did not happen, okay? And when the commander of the Lord is an asparagus, okay, you know it's not biblical. But there's one part that I really like, because as you go into Joshua chapter 2, you find out that the people of Jericho, they know about Israel, and they're a little scared of them. They, they know that God led them through the Red Sea, that they defeated the Egyptians like 40 years prior, that, that all these things, they, there's, there's fear from them. And yet, when they start marching around the wall, I think people in Jericho are going, wait, what, what are they doing down there? And then they leave. And the next day, they come back and they walk. By day three, day four, the people in Jericho are going, this is the craziest army we've ever seen. Like, why are we even scared of these guys? I mean, all they're doing is getting their Fitbit count up and toning their thighs. I mean, this is, this is dumb. So they start hurling mockery at them. Like, oh yeah, just keep walking. Because you're not going to knock down our wall. And then the guys have to go home. And they get back to the camp. And the wife comes out and goes, honey, how'd the battle go today? Um, well, uh, we didn't exactly fight. Uh, we just kind of walked. I'm sure day one, okay, this is what God calls us to do, we'll do it. But by day four, day five, day six, what if they quit after day six? Because waiting's hard. If you've ever sat at the DMV, you understand waiting but if you've ever been engaged, you understand waiting. If you've ever been pregnant, you understand waiting. If you've ever applied for a job and you're not hearing anything, you understand waiting. And some of you in this room have even had like inklings of a dream in your heart for a business or a ministry, and yet you find yourself in this period of waiting. It was two years from the moment I sensed God saying, I want you to plant a church, and the moment that I finally stepped off staff. And for much of that two years, I had said yes. I didn't remain in my no. I actually began to obey. Okay, God, if this is what you want, I will obey. I will do what you want. As you say, you are my commander. And yet I found myself in this two-year waiting period. It was hard. There were days where I wanted to bail. I just wanted to give up. I liked where I was at. I didn't think I was qualified to plant a church. I just, I quit. Because the waiting is hard. But if you're going to see the kind of life that you want, it's in the wait that God does his greatest work. As you're waiting on him, your trust, your faith is actually being built. You're actually growing closer to him, even though it feels like you're drawing farther from him. And as you seek him, trusting him, he does a great work in you to prepare to do a great work through you. So often we want to become the overnight success. But a lot of the people that are the overnight success said it took them years to get there. If you want to see the kind of life that you want to see lived out, 
That means you have to not just surrender in worship, not just surrender through obedience. It means even in the wait, you persevere, you apply some grit, you just keep going after Jesus, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. Day four, day five, day six. Because day seven will come. And when day seven comes, it's a glorious day. The Egyptians on day seven, they didn't just, I'm sorry, not the Egyptians, the Israelites, they didn't just march around once, marched around seven times. So in one day, they do more than the other six days combined. They're probably now tired, right? If you've ever run track, ever done a sport, you want to warm up, but you don't run 10 miles to get ready to run a 100-yard sprint. And that's what they're doing. They're just marching around and around and around. And by this time, they're getting worn out. And yet, they get done with lap seven. The priests blow on those horns. The people yell as God instructed. And the walls came down. In fact, archaeology has discovered that the walls did not just crumble outward. They actually fell inward. And the people began to just climb over the rocks to come in, and they conquered the city. Now, God said, this first city, you're going to defeat it, but it's actually going to be me who defeats it. And so because it's God who defeats it, he said, the spoil is mine. In chapter 6, verse 19, God said this, But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go out into the treasury of the Lord. So this kind of is right in line with what has been happening, what God's been instructing to the Israelites. Their firstborn son, they're to dedicate that to the Lord. The first fruits of their, their harvest, they're to be giving that as an offering to the Lord. God wants them to give their first because it helps to keep God first in their lives. And so when it comes to the first city destroyed... The spoil of it goes to God. Well, everyone obeyed except one guy, a guy by the name of Achan. When those walls tumbled in, he climbs over and he saw some stuff and he wanted it. And he took it and he didn't think anyone saw. And he hid it inside of his tent thinking, I just got a bunch of stuff. I'm rich. The problem was, though, God saw So often we think that our sin, we we can hide it, that it doesn't affect others. But as we're about to see, Achan's sin affects a whole bunch of people. Because you see what happened is right after they defeat Jericho, the next city along the way was actually a little town called Ai. That's how it's spelled, Ai. Maybe it's pronounced I, you know, filled with a bunch of pirates, I don't know. But they they go up to Ai. And they're going to fight it. And the spies go up and they're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be easy. I mean, we just destroyed Jericho. These guys are nothing. All right, you know what? Hey, Joshua, just send like 3,000 soldiers. That'll be far more than enough. We'll go up there. We'll whip these guys, no problem. Well, problem was 3,000 soldiers went up and they got their butts handed to them. They ended up, 36 of them ended up dying. And they ended up running away, retreating like dogs with their tails between their legs. They were in embarrassed. How could they go and defeat big, powerful Jericho and yet get spanked by little tiny AI? That's because God wasn't with them. Joshua and the people seek after God. Why, God, would you destroy Jericho but let us get embarrassed by these guys? Notice God's response. Chapter 7, down in verse 10. Chapter 7, verse 10. Then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? 
Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. So therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. And so that begins a process where God has all the people gather before Joshua. And some way, somehow, God makes it known it's in the tribe of Judah. So all the other tribes kind of separate, and here's Judah. And then they start going through the various clans, and it settles on one clan, so everyone else separates. And then they start going through the families within that clan, and it settles down on one until it comes to Achan. And as it's obvious, Achan has done something. Joshua says to him, all right, what'd you do? Praise God by telling us what you did. And here's what Achan replies, chapter 7, verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Some people in that moment would lie. What are, you, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're, what you're saying. I didn't take anything. I mean, God said not to. So why would I take anything? No. He didn't do what you and I would do. Instead, he actually surrendered and he confessed. His sin cost 36 lives of his fellow soldiers. And his punishment is actually death. He receives capital punishment. You see, in the scriptures, the penalty for sin was often death. And that's Achan's penalty. And it costs him and his family their lives. Our sin is not just affect us. Our sin affects others. And yet, if you're sitting there looking at this going, so wait, Aaron, you're telling me to surrender in confession, and yet Achan's your example, and he gets killed for his confession? Yeah, right. I'm not confessing anything. That leads into the paradox of the gospel. Because when we should confess, and it should lead to our death, instead, when we confess, we actually find life. Because Jesus went and took our penalty for us. We are guilty like Achan. We may not have stolen, but we have lied. We've put on airs. We've done things. Every single one of us, even if it's just up in our head and in our hearts, we have sinned. And yet, when we confess that sin, we do not receive the whip. Instead, we receive an embrace. Your sin is forgiven through the cross. That is why we can surrender in worship. That is why we can surrender in obedience. That's why we can even surrender in the weight, as hard as it is. Because when we surrender in confession, our sin is forgiven, and we come back into a relationship with a loving God. So you do not have to hide. You do not have to hold on. You can let it go. You can confess it and be forgiven. And when you do, you find the blocks get back in the bag. There's hugs, there's joy, there's forgiveness, and you can move on into the life God has for you. So what we want us to do today is we want to end with surrender. 
I'm going to create an opportunity for you to surrender and worship. So we're going to sing a song together. I'm going to create an opportunity for you to surrender in obedience. Some of you are fighting against something. And God's saying right now, I want you to surrender. I want you to do it. Maybe it has to do something with a neighbor. Maybe something that's a relationship. Maybe it's something with family. Maybe it's something in your job. It sounds crazy. You've been fighting against it, and yet he's saying surrender. Follow through in obedience. Some of you, you're in the wait. It's been uncomfortable. You're wondering, what are you doing, God? And yet what he's saying to you is, trust me. Just remain. Sit. Keep going. I know it's only day four. But just continue to trust me. Continue to obey. Continue to seek after me. Because if you allow God to do that, if you will surrender in the way, he'll continue to do that deep work in you to prepare you for the great work he has for you. And then some of you here, you might be at a place where you need to confess. Something's going on. Maybe that addiction keeps getting you. Maybe there's something you've been hiding. Today's your day to find release, to find forgiveness. So as we just pray, I want you to just confess it out to God. To be a part of this, we're going to open up the communion tables. These communion tables remind us that Jesus' body was broken for us. That's what that bread's all about. And that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. That's what that cup is about. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, even if this is your very first time with us, I invite you to come to this table. Don't do this out of duty. Don't do this to try and impress anyone. Do this because you are confessing your sin. You are trusting God. You want to obey. You want to worship. So incorporate this into it. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, then I'm just going to ask you to do two things. First, I'm just going to politely ask that you not go to these tables. Because when we go to these tables, this is about Jesus. And if you're not sure about him, don't worry about these elements. Instead, I'm going to invite you to do something else. I'm going to invite you to just talk to God. I believe that you have the ability to talk directly to the creator of the universe. And I want you just to ask him, is it all true? And if you sense in your heart he's saying yes, then I'm going to invite you to find Jesus. Begin to follow him. That as you come face to face with the commander of the Lord's army, that in your heart you will fall before him and worship. You see, I believe that God loves you. That's why he paid for your sin upon the cross. And he wants to do something great through you. We believe at Riverwood what this world needs be more than anything else is that people who look like Jesus, they live like Jesus lived, they love like Jesus loved. We believe that process begins when you surrender to Christ. And so if you're ready to surrender today, then I just encourage you, don't worry about these elements. You just stay where you're at and you just pray. And you tell God, I want to follow you. So Father, as we come to these communion elements, as we sing and lift our voices to you, as we sit in our chair and, and pray, whether it's to, to ask for boldness or, or to ask for a, 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 a help to, to hold on in the weight or, or even to confess our sin. God, this is your time. These are your people. You know their names. You, you know their stories. You love them deeply and dearly. So God, right now, I pray that you just have your way in us, that each of us would come to a place of absolute true surrender. So Jesus, as we spend this ne these next few moments worshiping you, may this just be one great big thank you. So God, do in us what you will right now. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.